0: Hello, and thank you for tuning into Back to My Point with Daniel N. I'm your host, Daniel Nersesian. Today I'm going to be talking about a few different things. First off, I'm going to be discussing the Matt Stafford Jared Goff trade. Second, I'm going to be talking about the Nolan Arenado trade to the St. Louis Cardinals. Third, I'm going to give my Super Bowl predictions. And last, I'm going to be talking about my top 10 movies from the 1990s. Also, please like, share, and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you get your podcasts on. I really appreciate that. Also, please give me any feedback or constructive criticism that you feel the need to give with me. I really appreciate that as well. And without further ado, let's get to it. So, quarterback Matt Stafford was traded to the Los Angeles Rams for fellow quarterback Jared Goff a 2021 third round pick a 2022 first round pick and a 2023 first round pick. First off, many people um think that that com- they're comparing this to like the James Harden trade where the Nets recently gave seven first round picks to get James Harden, I just want to first off and clarify that the NBA and the NFL first-round picks are not nearly the same value. There's not nearly the same weight. Um, in the NBA, you have guys that get drafted at four that don't pan out. You've got Mario Hazonia, who was drafted fourth or third overall, that didn't pan out. You get many guys outside of the top five that are drafted in the lottery slots, seven, you know, six to 15 that just flame out because you're drafting these 19 year old kids that you only got to see play one year at Duke or Kentucky. And you know, that's not a lot of size. It's not a lot of sample, right? Compared to the NFL where everybody has to play three years in college before they get drafted. So that's the first thing I wanna point out is that the value of an NFL first round draft pick is much, much heavier than of an NBA pick. And also with the Harden trade, Four of those picks were the, uh, to have the eligibility to swap between Houston and Brooklyn, so they didn't commit their pick entirely. If the Nets finish with a worse record and have a better draft position than the Rockets do, the Rockets can swap picks between them. They don't just get the picks outright. So anyways, that's, that was my first thing to mention about this trade. Uh, second is, a lot of people are asking me who won the trade. Was it the Rams, was it the Lions? I think both teams really did win. And I don't really tend to say that much about trades, but I really think um, getting two first-round picks is is really huge for this Detroit Lions team because they're going to be able to... To, you know, to use a better term, they're going to tank the next few years, rebuild, turn over a new leaf. Stafford said he wasn't happy there and he wanted to trade, so they mutually agreed that they were going to part ways this offseason, and that's exactly what they did. Once you're in a position in any sport where your superstar wants out, where your franchise cornerstone wants out, it's a very difficult situation. Because that player is an expiring asset at that point. The second they announce that they are going, that they want out, they're a depreciating asset. At, you know, they can sit out. We've seen it happen year after year in the NFL. They can sit out. They can not show up to practice. They can, they, th- their value immediately depreciates when once they say they're uncomfortable. Because then you really have to trade them. It's very hard to salvage a situation like that. The Jazz did a great job last year when. Uh, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell were upset with each other over Rudy Gobert giving Donovan Mitchell COVID, but they managed to salvage that relationship and they've kept their core players together. But there's other instances where players like we're seeing with Deshaun Watson right now, where he is unhappy in Houston, and he's even and I even read a report today that says that he will even opt out and or sit out, rather, uh, this season if the Houston Texans do not trade him. Anyways, back to this Goff trade. Um, The casual fan will probably look and say the Rams had to give two first-round picks and a third-round pick just to upgrade a little bit at quarterback. And my answer to this is, first off, Jared Goff is way worse than... Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford, in my opinion, is a top 10 quarterback. Top 12, certainly, probably top 10. Many people forget about him because he plays for the Lions, a small market team that hasn't really been very successful, been riddled with injuries the last few years, lost a lot of one score games the last few years, hasn't been that good. But Stafford still balls out. He's still a very, very solid quarterback, and he's still young. He's still, um, you know, he's in his prime, he's entering his prime. I believe he's 32 or 33 years old, um, so he's he's good and he's going to be good for the next five years. We've seen these quarterbacks continuing to play at a high level till they're 38. Rivers had a great year this year. Roethlisberger was solid this year. Tom Brady played great. Aaron Rodgers played great. We've seen these quarterbacks continue to do well because they're so smart and they can read defenses so well. So even if they've lost a little bit of arm strength on their deep ball, they're still very accurate on short passes. Drew Brees, by the way, is another successful quarterback who's aged. Anyways, back to my point. Um, I I don't believe, I, I really truly believe that Jared Goff was actually a liability for the, the Rams. He was not an asset. He was a liability. And I and I mean that because his contract is so bad. He signed that four year I have the money written down. Four year hundred ten million sorry four year hundred thirty four million dollar extension where a hundred ten million dollars of that money is guaranteed over the next four years. Um that's not something you want on your team. You don't want to have um a average to below average starting quarterback making that much money when you pay any player doesn't matter who a very large sum of your money that's really tough to do in salary cap leagues that's why we've seen like look at the Washington Wizards who in 2018 had three guys on max contracts and they won just 32 games they didn't even make the playoffs they had Otto Porter, Bradley, well, they had Otto Porter before they traded him, but Bradley Beal, and they also had John Wall, and they won very, very few games. Because if you give so much money to just a few players, to one or two players, it's difficult to fill out the rest of your roster, especially in football when you have a 53-man roster. It's very hard to fill those other slots out with competent players. It's very difficult. We're going to see that happen in the next few years with all these quarterbacks getting paid all this money. We're going to see the rest of their roster start to deteriorate. Um, Next point that I was going to make is that, I mean, it's a lot of money to give to a guy who really hasn't proven that he's all that good. In fact, there were talks earlier this week before Goff was traded that he would have to compete with John Wolford for the starting position in LA next year. Think about that for a second. Have have you have anybody heard of John Wolford before he entered in the playoff game a couple weeks ago? I hadn't. That's not a good look. That that really shows you that golf was holding back the offense, and I really and I really believe that because every time I would watch the Rams, I would see such a good defense play, and I would just see. Just such a mediocre offense. It's kind of like when I was watching the Bears this year. No matter who was at quarterback, Trubisky or Nick Foles, both of the guys couldn't move the ball. And you felt bad for the defense that was playing so well throughout most of the game. But by the end of the games, they would get tired because they were on the field for so damn long because the offense couldn't move the ball. That's the same thing that has been going on in LA with the Rams. And I really do think that with Stafford there, they're going to be a very balanced team. In fact, and you know, this is the team that two years ago made it to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff. So how much better are they going to be with Stafford? They still have you know many stout players on their defense. They have the best defensive player, maybe even in history, in Aaron Donald. Um, they've you know they've got a still got that great young defensive core. They still have a genius head coach in Sean McVay. And I really think I mean they still got two great wide receivers a solid all-line, a, a competent tight end, and Tyler Hegby, they've got a good team. I really do think that this was a good trade for the Rams, and we'll see what the future holds for the Detroit Lions and how they're able to move the ball or, and how they're really able, gonna be able to play with Golf. We'll see, they could cut Golf in two years. I, I saw that in his contract, th- his money is guaranteed for 2021 and his money is pretty much guaranteed for 2022, But in 2023, I believe they can cut him before he makes the roster and they save a ton of money off the cap. And that's just that may be what they do. Maybe he balls out. Maybe golf plays really, really good next year. And then they trade him to a quarterback and needy team with a lot of cap space for the last year of his contract. Because let's be honest, I don't think Jared Goff is a starting is a, is a franchise quarterback. I think he would be an excellent backup, and I think he's a below average to average starter. But, I mean, just if you look at his numbers the last two years, they're not great. And that's with, like I said, all those offensive weapons the Rams have with that stout O-line and with a genius head coach in Sean McVay. So that was the the first segment of the podcast. Next, I'm going to be talking about my Super Bowl predictions. So stay tuned. All right, here we go. My Super Bowl predictions. All right. So a lot of times for the Super Bowl, I like to look at how teams are playing recently. How how, how much momentum do they have going into the Super Bowl? Uh, In sports, um, a lot of things, especially in baseball, but football as well and basketball, Um, The team that's playing best at the right time normally wins, right? Um, That doesn't necessarily mean the best team overall wins. Especially in the NBA, a lot of times we see the team with the best record during the regular season not necessarily win the NBA Finals. But in terms of football, momentum is also a huge factor. The biggest thing is normally health. The healthiest slash team that's playing best wins in football the majority of the time so let's look at the both the team's momentum so analyzing the last 10 games we'll start with the chiefs on november 8 week 10 the chiefs beat the panthers by only two points 33 to 31 Um, the panthers didn't make the playoffs they weren't that good this year the chiefs should have probably beat them by two touchdowns week 11 they beat the raiders 35 to 31 uh, the Raiders actually beat them earlier in this in the season, uh, but the Chiefs beat them on that game on week 11. Um, the Raiders really could have easily won this game. It was an absolute shootout. I believe it was a Sunday night or Monday night game, and uh, not that big of a not that impressive of a, of a performance by the Kansas City Chiefs. It really shows that if the offense they're playing against is clicking, they can be in trouble. Week twelve, they beat the Tampa Bay Bucks twenty-seven to twenty-four. Big win for them. Take nothing away from it. Brady did throw two picks. Um, I think he will be more responsible with the ball in the Super Bowl, but you never know. Week thirteen, the Chiefs beat the Broncos by one score again, twenty-two to sixteen. Drew Locke threw for only 151 yards and two interceptions. The Broncos, of course, did not make the playoffs, and they really were a bad team this year. Once again, Chiefs should have beat them by more. Week 14, we've got the Dolphins. They beat them 33-27. Mahomes threw three picks. Man, is that Dolphins defense very solid. I don't know how they create so many turnovers, because turnovers happen kind of by... Freak accidents sometimes people randomly fumble. There's a lot of tipped balls that get intercepted. Weird things happen to cause turnovers. I don't know how the Dolphins defense was able to manufacture so many turnovers this season, but good for them. Dolphins didn't make the playoffs, but um, no shame in beating a solid 10-win Dolphins team by by uh, uh, by four points. Uh, next, we've got the Saints. They beat the Saints 32-29. to Another big win for the Chiefs. They beat a very competent Saints team. But again, I'm hoping you've noticed the trend. Every one of the ones we've analyzed so far has only been by one score. Week 16, they beat the Atlanta Falcons 17-14. to Atlanta really should have won this game. I'll be honest. I watched this game. And um, there was a dropped interception that the Falcons had. There was a a bad fumble that the Falcons had. Um, The kicker for the Chiefs, Harrison Butker, drilled a 53-yarder. He's a very good kicker, but you can't always expect kickers to make 50-plus yarders. And the kicker on the Atlanta Falcons missed a 39-yarder to tie it and send it into overtime. Uh, A lot of things fell in the Chiefs' favor to get this win, over a pretty weak Falcons team, I know the Falcons have won a lot of, uh, excuse me, have lost a lot of games by one score. But being that the Chiefs are the Chiefs and have Patrick Mahomes and a great head coach and Andy Reid and Kelsey and T- Tyree Kill, they should have beaten the Falcons handily. Week 17, the Chiefs rested their starters. Patrick Mahomes didn't play, and they lost to my L.A. Chargers, 38 to 21. Doesn't matter. They sat their starters. In the AFC divisional round, they beat the Browns 22 to 17. I believe they were 10 point favorites heading into the game, or nine and a half point favorites. They looked very beatable. Um, you know that fumble on the on the one by or excuse me, out of the end zone by Rashad Higgins really changed that whole game. Um, if he had just extended the ball and got one yard further, they would have had seven more points. Um, but also, Patrick Mahomes left the game due to in- injury. And they had to have Chad Henney come in. So a lot of different factors. You can make the argument that the Browns could have easily beat them. You can make the argument that if Mahomes had not gotten injured, that the Chiefs would have easily beaten them. Um, not that impressive of a victory for me. Um, next, we've got the AFC Championship game, and this was the best game they played all in the last 10 weeks by far, where they beat the Bills handily 38 to 24. I actually thought the Bills were going to win this game. Uh, They did not. The defense played very, very well. Probably one of the best defensive performances I've seen from the Chiefs um, in a while. Um, But also, man, did Josh Allen look lost. He did not look good out there. Um, He, you know, he just looked very inaccurate. He looked kind of like he did his rookie year where his completion percentage was so low. I believe it was like 48% or 52%. He's made so many leaps to get better with his accuracy, and he looked so inaccurate uh, against the Chiefs in their most recent game, and that's, that's why the Chiefs kind of thumped him the way they did. The, the Bills offense really didn't come to play that, that game, but still an impressive win for the Chiefs nonetheless. So if we look at their last 10 games overall— They've won eight of them by one score, five of them to non-playoff teams. They lost the game to the Chargers where they sat everybody. That doesn't really matter. And then they did beat the Bills by more than one score in their most recent game. All right, now let's look at the Bucs. Bucks week 11, they beat the Panthers 46-23. to Remember, the Chiefs had only beaten the Panthers by two when they played them. Played them. Week 12, they lost to the Rams 27-24. to Rams are a good team. They're a playoff team. Um, no shame losing to the Rams by one score. Uh, week 13, they lost to the Chiefs. As I said earlier, it was a close game. It was a really good game. I'm excited for the Super Bowl. I think we will have a very competitive Super Bowl. Week 14, they won 26-14 to 14 over the Vikings. Again, winning by multiple scores is always good. That shows that you are kind of dominant over your opponent. Week 15, they won 37-27 to over Atlanta. I feel bad for Falcons fans, but I also don't feel bad, that bad because I'm a Chargers fan. Man, did they lose a lot of one-score winnable games this year, but um, it is what it is. Week 16, they thwarted Detroit 47-7. Stafford did leave the game with an injury, though, but when you beat a team by 40 points, that's damn impressive. Week 17, last game of the regular season for the Bucks, They smoked Atlanta 44-27, to again winning by multiple scores. Shows dominance in the wild card. They beat the Washington football team by 8 points, 31-23. to Not all that impressive, beating a team that was on their fourth string quarterback. But man, Taylor Haneke played great. He came to play. And you know they, they, the Washington football team put up a very competent challenge for them. The Bucks still handled business. The divisional game they handled New Orleans 30 to 20. Very impressive defensive performance by the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, Drew Brees didn't really look all that good, but once again they won, and they won by 10 points. NFC Championship game they beat Green Bay 31 to 26. That could have been uh, a game did. You know, it kind of went either way, but Brady he's got to be uh, better with the ball. He threw, I believe, three interceptions in that game. He's got to take better care of that ball. And and that game would have been a blowout. Um, but you know, beating the Packers is is definitely a victory. So if we look at their ten games, uh, they, they they uh beat won three of them by one score. They won five by multiple scores, which is impressive. And then they also lost two games by a field goal, both to playoff teams. So once again, comparing the stats, um, the Chiefs have only won one game by multiple scores, while the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have won five. Next segment is that the Super Bowl betting line was three and a half. Now it's only three. This means the Chiefs need to win by more than three to cover. And if you bet on Tampa Bay, they need need to either win the game outright or lose by less than three points. Right now, the Chiefs are getting 66% of the money. Vegas always wants, when they um, create betting spreads, they they create the lines not to predict the outcome. They create the lines to get... 50% of the money on one side and 50% of the money on the other side. They want it as close to 50-50 as possible. So no matter who covers, Vegas is still making money. 66% normally isn't that lopsided, but in terms of the Super Bowl, when millions of dollars are going to be, maybe even billions, are going to be placed on this game, they would really like to get that close to 50-50 so that once again, either way, they are good all right now looking at the rankings of these two teams let's start with the defenses defensive ranks the tampa bay buccaneers are sixth in yards kansas city is 16th tampa bay defense is eighth best in fewest points allowed defensive ranks and kansas city is tied for 11th with the indianapolis colts so the defensive advantage is definitely tampa bay no questions there they have more talent on their defense I know the Chiefs have some defensive players like Tyron Matthew and Chris Jones, but overall, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a significantly better defense. Offensively, according to Pro Football, focus, looking at the offensive line, Tampa Bay has the fifth best offensive line. They've got a hell of an O-line, led by, of course, the rookie right tackle Tristan Worfs, who was probably the second best rookie in football this year behind Justin Herbert, quarterback of the Chargers. Um, I, I really think this. it'll be difficult for the Chiefs to pressure Tampa Bay because their offensive line is very good. And when Tom Brady has time, he will find his open receivers. The Chiefs have the 11th best O-line, which kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, but their offensive line is very solid. I still think the advantage goes to Tampa Bay, who's obviously the fifth best. Um I still think that, despite the fact that the Chiefs have a solid line, that Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett and Vita Vea and Dominican Sue will be able to pressure um, Patrick Mahomes. I, st- I still think they'll be able to get pressure on him, which is huge. Getting pressure, you know, and forcing the ball out of Mahomes' hands quickly is important. Let's go to the special teams. I'm not gonna spend m- much time on this. I just want to say that they both have solid punters right now. Big advantage for either teams. Uh, Kansas City, in my opinion, has the second best kicker in the entire league with Harrison Butker. I only think Justin Tucker is a better field goal kicker. Um, I've seen the damage he can do. He, it seems like he always drills a 50 plus yarder against my chargers. He is has such a powerful leg. He's such a good kicker. And, you know, he, he's the second best kicker in the league. I know Ryan Seckup has been good for Tampa Bay this year, um, but the advantage goes to Kansas City. And then the very last thing we're going to look at is the overall offensive ranks. No surprise, the Chiefs' offense ranks first in yards and sixth in points. Tampa Bay's offense ranks seventh in yards but third in points. Advantage Chiefs, obviously, the Chiefs have the best offense in the league, and they probably will have the best offensive offense in the league next year and probably the year after that, too. I mean, that core nucleus of Hill, Kelsey, and... Pat mahomes is really just borderline unstoppable at some point i mean the, just those three guys are just maybe the best like they're just the, the th- they may maybe one of the best trios in nfl history tyree kill is so speedy kelsey is so athletic mahomes is such a good thrower that they you know it's they're they're infuriating to stop they're so difficult to stop it's, it's like that one you know meme. It's like, stop them. You can only hope to contain them because that's really all you can hope to do is to just contain their defense and not let them run all over you, explode all over you. Overall, my feeling is this. I do think Tampa Bay is going to win. I think the reason they're going to win is because they have somewhat of more momentum heading into this game. I think the, chief, the Chiefs have kind of limped away with a lot of close victories. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. When you continue to win 50-50 games, one-score games, if you continue to win them, there's going to be a point where eventually you're going to lose them because it's statistically improbable to continue to win so many close games in football. It just it just doesn't happen. Um, you can have a season where you win a lot of games, but then the next season you're, you're bound to come back to earth. I think the Chiefs come back to earth this Sunday against the, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I really think with Brady's experience, um, it's going to come in handy. I think that that Bucks pass rush is going to pressure Mahomes. I think I think that the Tampa Bay offense is going to do enough. I'm, I'm still I think the, the Chiefs defense is just not that good. I think that the difference between the Tampa Bay offense and the Chiefs offense is a smaller margin than the difference between the Chiefs' defense and the Tampa Bay defense. That's just my gut feeling. I could be totally wrong. I would take the three points, especially if it moves to three and a half. I would take the three and a half points and, and take Tampa Bay. Um, but, you know, gambling is gambling. It's never a, success, a never complete success. Uh, that's just my gut feeling. I, I think that with I mean, Brady never seems to lose in the Super Bowl, except when he's playing the Giants. And they're not playing the Giants, they're playing the Chiefs. So I think they're going to win. I think, I think Tampa Bay's going to do it. I think Brady is more motivated than he's ever been because of the way that he departed New England. And I think that he's going to prove why Belichick never should have let him go. And that the Patriots were wrong to let him walk in free agency and give him a new opportunity. I think he's pissed. And I think he's he's just as hungry as he's ever been. I think he wants to continue to win, and I think he will win because it seems like he can outwork not only everybody in the NFL, but maybe other than the Rock, I think he outworks everybody on the planet. Like I mean, it's, the guy is just a tireless. The way his diet, the way his nutrition, the way he the way he works on his game, on his mental sharpness, on his physical sharpness, and and you know, the guy just works tirelessly. And I'm not saying that Patrick Mahomes doesn't. But I think Brady outworks everybody. Um, I I do think that the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to come out with a victory this Sunday. That's just my gut feeling. So, yeah, I've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning the Super Bowl. Uh, That's all for my Super Bowl predictions. Now let's get into some baseball. All right, this is the final sports segment for today's podcast. I'm going to be breaking down and giving my analysis on the trade between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Colorado Rockies, which featured all-star third baseman Nolan Arenado get shipped from Colorado to St. Louis. So let's get right into it. Um, uh, First off, Nolan Arenado is the best third baseman in the league. I really, truly believe that. And I really don't even think it's close, guys. I I really don't. Um, As proof of this, I you know, I, I worked for Major League Baseball a couple years ago, and in the press box, I remember, I don't want to reveal who said this, but uh, one of the Cubs' media personalities uh, was sitting at a table, and somebody somebody mentioned, who do you think the third baseman in the league is? And I was just listening, and I was thinking in my head, it's definitely Arenado. There's there's no way around it. And and the guy said, without a question, Nolan Arenado. He really is. And everybody else that was at that table Agreed, because he is. Um, he, he's just—he's excellent. He's a five-time All-Star, a four-time Platinum Gold Glove winner. If you don't know what a Platinum Gold Glove winner means, it means that not only did you win the Gold Glove, but you were the best defender in in your league. So he was the best defender, best fielder in the National League four out of the eight years he's been in Major League Baseball. So 50% of the time, he's been the best fielder in the entire National League. That's how good he is. Uh, He led the major leagues in RBIs twice. He's He's led the MLB in total bases. He's led the NL in home runs three different times. He's led the NL in extra base hits. He's been a gold glove every single year of his eight years that he's been in the league. And he's fourth in slugging percentage among all active players. He's a stud. The only thing that concerns me about Nolan Ar- Nolan Arenado is his breakdown versus home and away. So many people know, obviously, Colorado is in high altitude, and therefore it is easier to hit home runs, and we've seen a dip in batting average as well from players playing at home versus on versus on the road. People hit for more power and hit for higher average in Colorado. We've seen it happen time and time again. Again, right? Jeremy Burnett had 57 home runs or whatever it was that one year he was in Colorado and came crashing back down to earth the year after. Um, so it does concern me. So I, I I dove into those stats a little bit. Uh, his home batting average is 3.22 compared to his road average, which is 2.63. That's pretty concerning. He has 136 homers compared to 99 home runs. On the road that's not that bad if you think about the Colorado altitude the fact that he still has 99 bombs compared to just compared to 136 at home that's that's really not that concerning Um, the one thing that did concern me when I was diving into his stats is he only had one home run on the road last year shortened season I know but still a little bit concerning and then his on-base percentage is 376 at home Versus 322 at home. It's a pretty significant 50 point dip, right? And then this is the biggest one that concerned me 461 RBIs at home compared to 299. That's a lot of RBIs. That's a big difference. Um, So I I am slightly concerned, but I still think he's going to ball out. He's such a good player, he's such a stud. You know, when you see him, like, on the field, you just look at him. He just looks so ready on every... That's why he's such a good fielder. He looks like he's snorted Adderall before every play because this guy looks so focused and so ready. I've never seen... There's very few players that seem to be as locked in as he is when he's fielding and also when he's hitting. He's just... He's just got the ability to block everything out, block the crowd noise out, and just ball. Um... The Rockies are, believe it or not, paying. This is is what really surprised me about this trade, is I thought that the Rockies were going to just get a bunch of prospects for him and that was going to be it. But I found out that the Rockies are paying all $35 million of Nolan Arenado's salary next year and $51 million total they're going to absorb. So you're giving away the best third baseman in baseball. You must have got a lot of great prospects, right? The, the Rockies must have had a ton of stud prospects coming in, right? Well, let's look. They got infielder Eljurius Montero, who's the Cardinals' 8th overall best prospect. They got a right-handed pitcher, Tony Losi, who's their 19th. Third baseman, Mateo Gill, who's their tw- the Cardinals' 22nd prospect. And then they got a left-handed pitcher named Austin Gomber, who's not rated in the Cardinals' top prospect system, and a right-handed pitcher, Jake Somners, who's also not rated. So they don't get any top five prospects from the Cardinals. They don't even get a top seven prospect from the Cardinals. They get their eighth, 19th, and 22nd for the best third baseman in baseball, and the Rockies are eating $51 million of Nolan Arenado's money. That's bad. That's almost unacceptable. Remember, this is baseball where there's no salary cap. Yes, there's a luxury tax threshold, but there's no salary cap in baseball. So the fact that the Rockies felt the need to eat or the fact that the Cardinals were able to manipulate the Rockies into eating $51 million off of Nolan Arenado's salary and not giving them a top 7 prospect, I mean, they just got swindled. That that is an absolute steal. For the Cardinals and, and to be honest with you This puts them at the top of the division I think they're going to win the division next year With this addition um, Yeah, I, I think um, It's going to be a race between I mean, we'll see how the Reds pitching does if they, if they perform as If their starting pitching does As well as they did last year But I I, th- I think uh, I, I think they got this I don't want to say in the bag But they're definitely the front runner now When you add a stud like that Right? Um Good for them. I mean, I, I mean they really swindled the Rockies. I really think the Cardinals are, are going to be a, a powerhouse soon. I don't know if they're going to compete with the Dodgers just yet, but I, I really believe this was a great trade for them. But this begs the question, is that really all Colorado could get for the best third baseman in the league? I mean, how many other phone calls did they make? Because that's not a good return for such a stud like Nolan Arenado. some of these trades where they're so lopsided You, you really ask is that the best they could have gotten like i don't know man that makes makes me think anyways that was all for the sports segment of today next i'm going to be discussing my top 10 movies from the 1990s stay tuned all right thank you for listening to the sports section all right today in the entertainment section i'm going to give you my top 10 movies from the 1990s i've told a lot of people this i think that the 1990s was the golden age of movies i think that once especially from 1990 to about 2005 uh, i felt that we were banging out all these awesome movies with a-list actors high quality budgets, uh, tons of money being thrown into these movies. But, um, you know, recently, last 10 years, last 10, 15 years, we've had so much, so many different actors on uh, really, really damn good television shows on HBO, Netflix originals, Amazon Prime originals, on Showtime, on regular cable, on networks like FX and AMC. Um, so, the movies kind of dwindled down. A lot of people are now just sitting in their couch and binging TV shows. So they're having higher budget television shows and less high budget movies. I, I really do think in the next 20 years, we will no longer have movie theaters. Everybody's just gonna have their own home theater at their house and watch movies that way. But here it is, my top 10 movies from the 1990s. Okay. So, I spent way too much time doing the honorable mentions last time. That was some of the feedback I got from you guys. So, I'm going to try to burn through these honorable mentions. Um, My first honorable mention, and I'm going to get a lot of heat for this, because a lot of people think it's the best movie ever made, Shawshank Redemption. I love this movie. It's an absolute classic, absolute masterpiece. Morgan Freeman is terrific in it. Tim Robbins is excellent in it. For my ADHD brain, this is a little bit slow. Remember, this is my top 10 favorites. This is not the top 10 best. This is my top 10 favorites. if it, 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 you know, People tell me all the time that it's the best movie ever made. I can't disagree with you. It may be the best movie ever made, right? It's excellent. A little slow for me. It's an absolute classic. I, the one thing, the only gripe I have with this is not that there's too, not enough action. Yes, there is not enough action for my liking, but I feel like there's never, there There aren't too many points in the movie where you're really sitting at the edge of your seat waiting for what's going to happen next, if that makes sense. Because it's, it's so good, it's so well done, it's, it's so excellent, but it's not edge of your seat, holy shit, what's going to happen next type action or type suspense, um, which is what I personally enjoy. That being said... I can't disagree with somebody who thinks it's the best movie ever made because it is an absolute fucking masterpiece. Okay. Number 2, The Talented Mr. Ripley with Jude Law, Matt Damon, Philip Seymour Hoffman. This was based on a novel, on a novel. It's incredible acting by both Jude Law and Matt Damon. It's one of uh, Matt Damon's less known films, but it's really really good. It's really unique. Um it's, it's one of those movies that kind of fell under the radar because there were so many damn good movies in the 1990s this one kind of fell under the radar i love it um check it out next die hard instant classic everybody knows die hard everybody loves it it's my favorite christmas movie i don't know if you classify it as a christmas movie but if you do it is my favorite christmas movie um it's so damn good it's one of the the best Action films, one of the best pure action films of all time. You know, it's die hard. What else can you say? It's a classic. Another classic on my honorable mention list is The Lion King. This is my favorite Disney movie, and it's my favorite Disney movie by far. Um, It's another, like I said, another classic. It's actually the 50th highest grossing movie of all time. I think it's Disney's second highest grossing movie of all time. And. You know, it's, it's The Lion King. It's, it's damn good. Watch it if you haven't seen it. Next, American Beauty. Uh, that was with Kevin Spacey. It won an Academy Award for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Screenplay, and Best Original. Music, it's very good. Very good movie. A little weird, but it's good. It's really, really good. Next is another classic, Forrest Gump. Everybody's seen Forrest Gump. It's with Tom Hanks, obviously. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Next is Wild Things. Um, This might be a a hot take. I I find this movie to be so damn entertaining. Um, This is one of those movies. In fact, I think of all the movies I've ever seen, this movie has the most plot twists that I just did not see coming at all. I don't want to spoil anything, but it has like four major plot twist that you're like holy shit I did not see that coming and it hits you that hard every single time um after the movie ends they have little uh during the credits they have little scenes that are showed that are really interesting and really help tie the full plot together I really like this movie um it became really famous because at the beginning of the film there's like it's not like a full sex scene but there's like a a three-way sex scene with um, a couple of the two of the actresses and one of the actors, it's it's not like crazy or anything, but it, it's like the beginning of one. And that was really controversial at the time because that was before HBO was making a lot of their really, you know really raunchy stuff. and you know, this is before Sex in the City. So the media wasn't used to seeing stuff like that um, in the box office, so that's part of the reason why the movie's famous. I think it's a really good plot twist movie. Check it out if you haven't seen it. I I love Matt Dillon. Uh, Kevin Bacon's in it. Neve, Neve Campbell's in it. Denise Richards is in it. A lot of plot twists. Very unique. I've never seen anything like this movie, so check out Wild Things. It's very entertaining. Next, I have Heat. Loaded cast in the movie. Heat, It's got Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Val Kymer. It's a crime drama about the cops trying to track down a professional bank robber. It's very interesting. It's a very good movie. It's another classic 90s film, another classic Pacino, another classic De Niro movie. Next, I have The Big Lebowski, which is, once again, another classic. Um, You know, it's one of the only uh, comedies on this list that I have from the 1990s. Um, Everybody loves The Big Lebowski. It's a cult classic. I definitely recommend watching it if you haven't seen it. My final honorable mention is Reservoir Dogs. It is the first movie that was directed by who I think is the best director of all time, Quentin Tarantino. Um, It's a bank robbery gone wrong, and they have to find out who the rat is. Um, Fun fact about this movie, Walter White from Breaking Bad was named... Walter White, Mr. White, or whatever, after the alias that one of the characters in *Reservoir Dogs* is named. So that's a fun fact. Um, I think *Reservoir Dogs* is one of those movies that you are so invested in because you don't know what's going to happen. It's one of those like, it's one of those movies that the first time you watch it, it's excellent, and because you don't know what's going to happen. It's one of those movies that after you watch it and you know what and you know what happens it's not as good but you still appreciate the acting just as much because it's a it's a loaded cast it's great acting it's you know great music in it. classic song stuck in the middle with you every time I hear that song I, I think about this movie it's a very very good film and you know Tarantino all he does is churn out excellent movies and this is no exception number 10 so here are, those were my honorable mentions. I actually flew through those. Here are my top 10 list. And number 10 is True Romance. Funny thing about this is that True Romance was written by Quentin Tarantino in order to get the money to create Reservoir Dogs, which I just talked about. So True Romance, obviously written by Quentin Tarantino, um, it's a loaded cast. It's got Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette. It also features James Gandolfini, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper, Michael Rappaport, Val Kilmer, and Gary Oldman. God, that scene with Gary Oldman uh, at the beginning of the movie is one of the one of the best scenes I've ever seen in acting in my maybe in my entire life. Um, it's got a lot of really memorable scenes. It's it's really good movie. Um, it it is directed by Tony Scott. It, it's lots of violence, obviously, because it was uh, written. The script was written by Quentin Tarantino, so it's gonna have a lot of violence in it. It's probably the most violent romance mi- movie of all time. Um, it actually definitely is, except except for maybe Natural Born Killers, which was also written by the mind of Quentin Tarantino. Um, yeah, that, that, that scene with Gary Oldman and Christian Slater is so unique. I've never seen anything like that scene. Um, you should really watch it just for that scene alone. In, in fact, if, if you don't have any interest in watching the movie, just YouTube Gary Oldman um, true romance scene and it should be the first thing in YouTube. It's, it's absolutely iconic. Number nine, Fargo. It is excellent just like the TV show. Fargo on FX, uh, which I talked about last podcast. It was directed by the Coen brothers. The Coen brothers, all they do is churn out good movies. Um, It stars William H. Macy, who many of you know from Shameless, uh, Peter Strohmeyer, and Steve Buscemi. I love Steve Buscemi. He's good in everything he's in. He was also in Reservoir Dogs, which I mentioned earlier. And it is Fargo is is a great, great movie. Um, It's very, very unique. Um, It's one of those... Uh, you know, crime movies where they're trying to catch down the killer who's been who's been murdering people in Fargo, North Dakota. Um, it's excellent. Check it out. Number eight, we have A Simple Plan, which was directed by Sam Rami, uh, who also directed, he also directed the Spider-Man movie, which was one of the highest grossing movies of all time. It won two Academy, it got two Academy Award nominations, It stars Billy Bob Thornton, Bill Paxton and Bridget Fonda. It reminds me a lot of the movie No Country for Old Men in that uh, the main characters find a large sum of money and they make a decision on what to do with the money and the rest of the movie follows their decision and it's very unique, it's very interesting it's it's so damn good it's it's an absolute classic um by the way everything from eight to number one i gave 10 stars on this is the first movie that i rated 10 out of 10 stars and um it's excellent i I watched it for the first time maybe a month ago and it is just there's nothing really i mean it's similar to no country for old men but it's very very unique still it's, it's a very, very interesting film. I saw that it was available to watch on Pluto TV, which is one of those free streaming services. So if you want to check it out, go watch it on Pluto TV. A Simple Plan checks in at number eight. Number seven, I've got Carlito's Way, which I watched earlier this week for the first time. It features Al Pacino. Um, it's directed by Brian De Palma, who also directed Scarface, Mission Impossible, and The Untouchables. As I said, it stars Al Pacino, but it also has Sean Penn in it and Luis Guzman. The plot is that Carlito is freed from prison and he vows to get clean and stay safe, safe. but trouble seems to find him wherever he goes. It's very unique. There's nothing like it. Um, It's so damn good. It's a lot of action, but it's not... Too much action like uh, Tarantino, but it's 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 not it's not too slow at all. It's it's not boring. It's fast paced, but it's got some action, but not too much action. Um, it's it's a cool movie too because it, it takes place in uh, New York City, and it's it's just a fun film. It's a really really good movie. I really recommend watching it. It was one of those movies that was based off of a novel. Number six, The Sixth Sense. Checks in at number six. This is definitely my favorite M. Night Shyamalan film that I've ever seen. It was the second highest grossing movie in 1999. It stars Bruce Willis and Haley Joel Oseman. Um It's one of the best psychological thriller films of all time. Um, it's one of those movies with a really, really good plot twist that you do not see coming. I won't spoil what it is, but I, I would never... I, it's one of those things that... you. That you're trying to figure out. There's something off here. There's something going on. I just can't figure out what it is. And then you, and then it hits you. And then you're like, oh, now it all makes sense. Damn, that was a good movie. That's the Sixth Sense. Number five, Boogie Nights. I was telling somebody this the other day. I think I was texting my friend Charles, and I was I was mentioning how of all the movies I've ever seen, Boogie Nights has the best, most loaded cast. And I don't even think it's close, honestly. Let me just read you guys who is in the cast of the movie. Boogie Nights, Mark Wahlberg, Julianne Moore, Burt Reynolds, Don Cheadle, John C. Riley, William H. Macy, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Heather Graham. Damn. What a loaded cast. Oh, and Luis Guzman is in it too. Yeah. Loaded, absolutely stacked cast. Um... It was set in the golden age of porn, and it's just a really fun movie. It's a great soundtrack. Um, it follows um, Mark Wahlberg, who's like a high school kid. He's kind of lost. He doesn't know what he's doing. He meets Burt Reynolds, his character, and who, you know, Burt Reynolds is a porn director, and they start shooting porn and making money, um, and then eventually things kind of go south, and I won't give anything else away, but... There's the most iconic movie scene of all time with the song uh, Sister Christian in it. I don't want to ruin it, but man, that song and that 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 one scene with, with that song playing in it, it is so tense. It has you on the edge of your seat. You don't know what's going to happen. It's so damn good. It's probably the, the best scene, maybe the best scene in, in, in movie history. Definitely the most one of the most iconic scenes in movie history. Um, And it's my favorite movie by far that's directed by uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. He's directed some other movies like Inherent Vice, but this is my favorite one by him. He also directed Hard Eight. But yeah, like I said, this one is far and away, in my opinion, his best movie. Number four, Goodfellas, another excellent crime film, film on this list. Joe Pesci's in it, another Robert De Niro film, and Ray Liotta. It was nominated for six Academy Awards and won five Golden Globes. It's tied with Wolf of Wall Street as my favorite Martin Scorsese film. It's, you know, it's one of the best gangster movies of all time. Maybe the best gangster movie of all time, depending on who you act, ask. It's an absolute classic. I mean, if you haven't seen Goodfellas, definitely watch it. It's it's one of those instant classic movies that everybody should see at least five times. <laughs> so check it out. Number three, The Usual Suspect. We've talked a lot about... Uh, movies with good plot twists this may be the best the best plot twist of all time is in the usual suspects maybe in film history um, It put Kevin Spacey on the map. It put uh, Stephen Baldwin on the map put Benicio del Toro on the map It's one of the best neo-noir films ever made It checks in at number 33 all time on IMDb's top 250 movies. It's an absolute classic It's got such a stellar cast. It is so well done. It is so, so unique. I know I say that about most of the movies on this list, but there's really nothing like this movie. There's really nothing even close to close, to close to being like this movie. Uh, it's, It's crazy. Number two, American History X. I'll be honest, I haven't seen this movie in a while, but I remember when I did watch it, I've probably seen it three, four times, it just being so, so good. Um, Edward Norton, man, oh my god, one of the best performances I've seen in in a movie, Uh, Edward Norton, maybe top five performance of all time, it's such a powerful film, it's so well shot, it's well edited, it's such an intriguing plot, it's very unique, I don't really want to give too much away, but it's it's one of those movies that I think we should watch in time, uh, that we should watch time and time again, to remind ourselves that we can overcome our prejud- prejudices towards one another or our differences with one another. Um, I don't want to give away why I'm saying that because it'll kind of spoil the movie, but um, it's a very, very unique film. It's uh, it's the, one of the main characters is a, is a big white, Ed, Edward Norton's character and his family is are big white supremacists in it. And one of the characters goes to prison and You'll see how his views on the world change when he gets out. Um, I, I swear I didn't ruin it with just saying that, but check it out. It's amazing. It's, it's a very, very unique film, and it's something that we should look back at at these times. Um, number one, if you know me, you know what it is. It's Pulp Fiction, and it's not even close. Pulp Fiction is the best movie ever made. It's not even close. There's, I don't know if there's a movie that's... I, I told somebody this the other day. I told my uncle this the other day. I don't know if there's a movie that's half as good as Pulp Fiction. And I, I truly mean that. It is... Every scene... I, I watched it again for like the twenty hundredth time with, my, uh, with a few of my uncles and my, and my dad. And every scene, somebody was like, Oh, this scene. So good. We watched it from like 1.30 in the morning to 3.00 in the morning because it's that good it's you can't turn it off where everybody was totally tired and wanted to pass out but you just can't turn the movie off because it's so damn good it's just every scene it gets better and better and better and it's just there's nothing like it there's nothing like it um it's funny in life i always have a difficult time um Saying like, For example, for my TV shows last week, I had a very difficult time putting in number one. Like I said, one through six, everything was tied for my comedy show list last week. Um, for this, it's not even like I had no questions. People always ask me, who's your favorite athlete? I don't know. It could be Philip Rivers. It could be LaDainian Tomlinson. It could be Derek Jeter. I was a big A-Rod fan. Right now, it's probably Aaron Judge and Justin Herbert. I don't know who my favorite athlete is. People ask, what's your favorite TV show of all time? I don't know. There's a lot of great TV shows. What's your favorite movie of all time? Pulp Fiction, hands down. I love this movie. It's so good. Um, it's the best movie ever made. Um, I, I It's funny because I thought that since the very first time I saw it, which I normally it takes me, I guess, a while to, to really think that something is better than everything else by far. Um, but no, this is, like, I saw it, and I'm like, that's the best movie I've ever watched, and that's probably the best movie I will ever watch, Um, it's obviously directed by Quentin Tarantino, every scene is just so amazing, the cinematography is amazing, the screenplay is amazing, the soundtrack is excellent, the acting is incredible, the lighting is amazing, Um, I love how they screw with the chronological order of things, but they don't make it too confusing like other movies. Some people tell me that they think the movie Memento is confusing because there's so much changing and screwing with the chronological order. Pulp Fiction is not confusing, but they do do a unique thing with the chronological order. Um, The cast is Uma Thurman, who is excellent in everything that she does. Samuel L. Jackson, John Travolta, Tim Roth, Bruce Willis, and Harvey Keitel, It's an absolute masterpiece from start to finish. There's so much action, but it's not over the top action and gory like some of his other films, like Kill Kill Bill and Hateful Eight. Yeah, there's some violence and action in it, but it's not like over the top, like where there's just all killing all the time, like there is in Kill Bill. The one um, negative thing I will say about this movie is that they do uh, use the N word, the hard er a, a few too many times for my liking. It is uncomfortable at times. Tarantino's been criticized for this a lot throughout his career. Um, sometimes, I mean, in a lot of movies, like Django specifically, um, with the context, it makes perfect sense because um, a lot there's a lot of slave owners. But like in in this film, where there's not as much of a historical background, where it makes sense to use those kind of verbiage it it, it's a little bit uncomfortable sometimes to listen to and watch it's really one of probably the only negative thing that i have about this movie um i mean quentin tarantino is the most controversial person probably in the movie business period um you know he has always been he always pushes the envelope in terms of violence and drug you, you drug use and killing and raping and physical violence and swearing and you know he's he is the most controversial director of all time, and you know Pulp Fiction is no different from that. There's tons of violence in it. There's tons of everything. Tons of swearing. Um, but I just did want to mention that out, mention that because it is a, a sensitive topic, especially in 2020, 2021. But um, I really do think this is one of the the best movie ever made uh hands down for me um i mean it's there's so many classic scenes it's funny it's there's so many quotable lines in this movie it's just so the philosophies that they that samuel jackson and john travolta's characters have as hitmen you wouldn't think they'd be like so smart and Think about like really interesting things in life and it just every it's just a masterpiece it's such a well-written script it's the best movie ever made you know what watch it tonight if you haven't seen it watch it right now if you haven't seen it it's 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 an absolute classic it's an absolute masterpiece and, and like I said I'm not sure if there's a movie that's half as good as Pulp Fiction I really don't know if there is watch it if you haven't seen it that's all for this week thank you for listening Take care. See you soon.